0: grace the amy santiago of royal bloggers and i'm jessica the dorothy's foreign of royal bloggers and we'd like to welcome you to on air the podcast where two cynical brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story hello and welcome to this week's episode of the on air podcast we hope you enjoyed last week's episode Which was on a topic I have already forgotten, so (laughs) I'm sure it was (laughs) royal work. That was it. I remember now. Royal projects. Royal projects. I remember talking about princess dress. I've got it now. We're back in the game. Um, so this week we are thinking simultaneously ahead and back because we are in February, also known as the month of romance because of Valentine's Day. And because we record on the Sunday and our episodes air on the Thursday, we if we recorded next week, our episode would come out after Valentine's Day. So we've ended up almost doing it a week earlier to make sure it's just in time when you're all in that lovely, lovey-dovey mood that romance and flowers bring <laughs> in the February season. <laughs> um, and we thought we would, and we might have mentioned this before, we would celebrate this by looking at our favourite royal love stories in recent years, and kind of given a bit of a ranking. Yeah, love is in
1: the air, do 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 do. I have to sing in every episode and that was the one that came to mind first. Um, Are you doing anything for Valentine's Day?
0: I am not doing anything for Valentine's Day, it is in the half term, so I will be off school, which is a bonus, Lovely. but I have no actual, maybe maybe I'll take myself on a date to the cinema i if orange wednesdays is still a thing that's what i do i'd be like updating myself at the cinema but maybe i'll have to you know go one time rather than twice because they don't think they do orange wednesdays anymore yeah I, 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 are you are you still on orange <laughs> no I'm not even on orange.
1: <laughs> then i don't I'm know just... if you would qualify um well that sounds fun at least if you go somewhere by yourself you know that you've got good conversation
0: yeah, I know, and I can do everything at my own pace, which I like, rather than you're like, guys, you're not moving fast enough, rough yeah. schedule.
1: Yeah, you have to buy a gift for somebody if you don't want to. um yeah. just a lot and less all stress. All my money on myself. Yeah.
0: Have you got any plans?
1: Uh, no, my landlord is doing an inspection.
0: <laughs> what a so, romantic event! I
1: know. So Valentine's Day might be the day that I am made homeless if they decide that they don't like <laughs> the fact that the cats ripped up the carpet. Uh, then they might decide that that's the day they they kick me out so yeah
0: that be fun. wouldn't be very loving of them
1: I, I normally avoid it like the plague because I am single and have been for a very long time so I don't really enjoy seeing people holding hands and being romantic um, <laughs> which doesn't set the tone for this episode very well but um, I'll try and be more positive
0: I always think that my I it was, it's entirely down to parks and rec but I've always preferred Valentine's day to valentine's Day. So when I was at uni Valentine's Day was a big thing and then Valentine's Day just happened and now I'm not at uni I'm just like oh I'll celebrate by myself shall I where are my gals
1: yeah <laughs> where are my gals there's no um good word for like a solo Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day is great but I uh, there's no catchy word for solo Valentine's Day
0: no someone needs to invent one
1: yeah we need to think about this Before we kick off with our list, I did want to say one thing, which was when I was thinking about some of these, I think, I know we're talking about like more modern royals and things, but I also think that um, a lot of the love stories I find the most interesting are not really, they're not really the criteria of favourite love story. I was trying to keep this positive. So for example, the most fascinating royal romance to me is King Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, Because the idea that you would change the religion of your country partly so that you could be with somebody and that your love was that powerful. You know, that's very, uh, that's a very powerful story, but he did very much kill her. (laughs) So I don't know if it really is a love story. Um, And like Wallace and Edward are always mentioned as sort of the iconic royal love story, but they were Nazi sympathizers. So I don't know.
0: No, I did find that really hard. I was like, okay, first of all, how far back are we going? Like, yeah. can I include Richard Lionheart and Eleanor of Aquitaine? Because I think yeah. they're a great love story, but I'm not sure they count. And then I was like, but what about Henry VIII and his many wives? Like, Jane Seymour really loved him. <laughs> but, but was it a reciprocate? I don't know. She just wanted to sell
1: him. So confused. Or did she just <laughs> die before she had a chance to annoy him?
0: Yeah, did she just die nice and early in time? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that before we k- kick off with our lists, that sort of my criteria when I was going through this was like love stories that I find them really interesting, but they're also kind of happy. I didn't want anybody on this list who um, has broken up since.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's also a couple, I had a couple of honourable honorable mentions. Ooh, I did. I have a reserve list, my honourable yeah. mentions. Yeah, full reserve. Um, my only honourable mention, I mean... Again, there's a lot of couples where like they're my favorite couple, but there's nothing that fascinating about meeting, dating for a couple of years and then getting married. That's not like an epic love story. So that's, a, that's there might be some people who are not in this list who you'd be surprised are not in this list. But my honorable mention was um, Gustav and Karina. And I we talked about them quite a lot in episode 26. So I, that's why I didn't include them because I just didn't want to talk about them in you know a huge amount of depth again. Um but if you want to go back and listen to episode 26, they are the nephew of the um Queen of Denmark and his wife who had to wait 19 years to get married because of a dead Nazi's will. So that's a really interesting story if you want to go and listen to it. But I'm not going to talk about it again here.
0: Yeah I did um I did think about them and I was like, well we've spoken about them too much now.
1: Yeah. I can't,
0: can't go on the list. No, my reserve list was five royal well five couples long. And it was Charles and Camilla, Anne and Tim, the Duke and Duchess of Kent, um, Hakon and Metamarit, and uh, Stephanie and Sophie's husband, whose name I will not pronounce. Yeah. French William.
1: French William. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. Excellent. So, you know, those are some couples who didn't quite get a mention, but, they're you know, they're in love and that's nice as well.
0: Yeah, we love that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, cool. So number five is the one that I found the hardest spot to give away, just because once you've given it away to somebody, that closes it off. You've got like no spaces left. So that for me was the one that I like. If you ask me next week, I might say somebody different. I went with Madeline and Chris.
0: Ooh, same country. I went with Crown Princess Victoria and Daniel. <laughs> well,
1: it's funny they're um they're my favorite couple but they are not on my list I know when you were
0: saying like, I have a favorite couple and they're just not gonna make it and I was like that's my number five
1: choice yeah I think I think we might have ended up going for them for same, similar reasons though when we talk about yeah. it um <laughs> well do you want to talk about Victoria and Daniel first I'm sure I can ad-lib on that
0: <laughs> I know I was thinking I was like I hope you've got some notes because mine are not that detailed <laughs> um but yes yeah, so I chose Victoria and Daniel um Because well, kind of because um Victor obviously Victoria and Daniel kind of had quite a simple romance, like they met, she he was her personal trainer, they started dating, they moved in together, they got married, which is all very sweet and also very nice and normal. But Victoria had an eating disorder, which uh she had kind of in the 90s, and she ended up in the USA when she was sort of getting over it with her prior boyfriend who I believe was also called Daniel yeah the two Daniels is yeah. like, people need to just not date people with the same name um and then I just I've always found it very sweet because to that someone with obviously with an eating disorder when she started with a personal trainer and in that kind of recovery she would have been kind of learning to sort of view herself in a more sort of healthy manner and get a healthy relationship with her body and with food and alongside that she fell in love and I just think that's incredibly sweet and I like that her kind of sort of becoming sort of like Victoria the final version the healthy one in the one who thinks about things positively was also the one that met the man she fell in love with and he probably you know quite significantly helped her in that stage and it's all very nice and lovely and it just means a lot to me. I think that's a really lovely reason. And I, I
1: think a similar thing about their relationship. And actually, I'm going so I'm going to talk about why I picked Madeline and Chris, because I think it comes from the same reason. To briefly talk about Madeline and Chris's relationship, in August 2009, Madeline's engagement was announced. But not to Chris. Um, <laughs> she was engaged to somebody else, actually, which I don't know if everyone knows, a guy called Jonas Bergstrom. Um, and Jonas was her sort of long-term boyfriend. He was so loved. Everybody thought he was so handsome and the most perfect boyfriend. And he was a lawyer and he was part of the elite Swedish social circle. And he was just the perfect man, um, which at the time was interesting because Daniel was being portrayed as like this country yokel who um, <laughs> had no intelligence. And everyone was like, he doesn't even read Swedish authors and like freaking out about it. So it was interesting. There was a juxtaposition of Jonas being this perfect boyfriend and Daniel being terrible. Um, and it was, you know, we knew at the time when it was announced that he was going to take on the Duke title. I sort of Daniel um, Madeline has her Duchess title and he was going to take on the Duke title and he was going to probably become a working royal. And then in early 2010, it came out that he had cheated on Madeline with a Norwegian handball player um, in 2009. And eventually in April, the engagement was called off and Madeline obviously that's a humiliating thing to have to go through anyway but to go through it when you've announced that you're in a relationship with somebody and you're going to get married to the whole world and everybody knows about it like the intense pressure I just I can't imagine how difficult that was so she that's when she moved to New York City because she was essentially trying to get away from Sweden and get away from all of her friends who happened to be friends with the guy that who cheated on her and um it was a very small social circle And while in New York City, she fell in love with Chris O'Neill, who was a mutual. They had mutual friends and they kind of had known each other a little bit. And they got engaged in 2012 and married in 2013. And they now have uh, three children together. But I think the similarities between why I picked Madeline and Chris and why you picked um, uh, Victoria and Daniel. Well, there's a couple. But one is... um, I'm so I'm not really a, a big sort of fate person and I don't believe, you know, everything happens for a reason, but if I was ever going to, these two stories would definitely be my evidence because Madeline and Victoria both went through really, really painful experiences. And I'm sure that if they could click their fingers and make that experience not happen, they would probably do that. But if they hadn't gone through those experiences, they probably would have never met Chris and Daniel the people that they love and have, have their children with so it's kind of like both of those situations where somebody finding something beautiful and joyful and happy out of a really painful situation.
0: Yeah definitely I think you know there's a, a lot of and I think for both of them as well they've got such kind of if you sort of take everything away and look at their romances they're so simple they're just like yeah. literally girl meets boy fall in love get married have children but the way they met it sort of it did come for both of them from a really sort of dark place a place with a lot of kind of public focus and negativity and I I think the way that they've kind of also I think because Daniel and Chris were viewed so kind of negatively originally there's kind of a real like I've been in this very dark place and I don't care like you make me happy
1: Yes, I think you're right in the the other point that I think is similar between the two of them is that they both got a huge amount of quite unfair criticism. So yeah, Daniel was people made fun of the fact that he had quite a thick accent. Um, he was sort of a country boy and he was seen as being not very sort of refined and um educated and worldly, like he should be to be the the marrying the heir to the throne. And Chris. I mean, he's got a snobby face, <laughs> which he can't help, but he looks like somebody who went to boarding school, which i I, I don't know if he did, but he was very from a very wealthy family, very globe shotting like he spent lots of his childhood in Switzerland and Austria and London and New York and all these places. He was very w- well traveled. Uh, but he was kind of he he was very quiet. He really hated the press. And um, he has this air about him of wealth. <laughs> um, so it was almost <laughs> the exact opposite of Daniel, but he was still massively criticised. And I think, especially when you, you compare to like Jonas, he cheated on Madeline. He was the perfect boyfriend and he cheated. Um, so it's not always about how somebody looks or what the rest of the world thinks about you. And I think like when we saw Madeline and Chris's wedding, he cried like a little baby when she walked <laughs> yeah. in in her dress. And we've heard stories since. Uh, one of my favorite stories about them is before they started dating, she was talking to him about the work that she was doing at Childhood, which is a charity that uh, Queen Sylvia founded. And um, he was totally smitten with her. She wasn't really with him at the time, but he was totally smitten with her. And so he anonymously dated uh, um, donated $100,000 to Childhood. And it took ages until she found out about it. But um, she did eventually find out about it. And obviously that's a huge thing to do. And it was just based on how much he, he cared about this thing because she cared about it. And like, he just looks at her like she's the most perfect, beautiful thing in the world. So I just, you know, I think they're both examples of the fact that other people's first impressions about somebody might not necessarily be true. And, you know, the fact that both of these couples are still together and they have children together and they love each other very much, you know, don't don't judge a book by its cover.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good rule just to pop out there.
1: Yeah, it's a cliche for a reason, because it's true.
0: They're both just incredibly kind of sweet. And I think the way that, you know, Victoria and Daniel... They like uh, last year when they almost had to kind of like issue that denial where they were, you know, on the edge of divorce, which was quite unprecedented. Um, And then I think there have been many rumours about uh, Madeleine and Chris being on the edge of divorce because she misses Sweden so much. And they're both couples where like, even though they're, you know, they're quite well liked, there's still a very vocal contingent this many years into their marriages. So, you know, it's over 10 years for uh, Victoria and Daniel, when it's 10 years this year for Madeleine and Chris, that's I still like no, it's it's not some it's not marriage that's gonna last. It's you know just a these horrible men coming and stealing their good fortune. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but they're still so, and they're so open about the fact like no, we are completely in love, and you're wrong. Um, I think that that's a
1: hallmark of a lot of the stories that I've got is this kind of opposition from other people but actually you know best and it turns out right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting little hint about what's coming
0: later <laughs> on. Intriguing.
1: Uh, yeah. So my number four, I think, is The Curveball. Okay. Potentially. Um, it's also the oldest couple on this list for me. I'm trying to think of it if I can give any more hit- teaser hints to keep it going to make it exciting because it'll probably be really disappointing when I actually say it. Um, I'm intrigued
0: yeah it is the queen mother and king george the sixth oh i did not have them my number four choice was um emperor ikito and empress michigo of japan
1: lovely well we've both gone for curveballs who are a bit older i'm trying to find similarities Curveball older choices yeah the you know ex monarchs of a country yeah Yeah. i never would have picked or thought you'd pick those two and i don't know if you would have thought that (laughs) i'd pick these two so
0: definitely not no
1: yeah um okay do you want to go first because i actually don't know very much about their romance so i know a
0: little bit but yeah that'll be interesting yeah well they were not remotely in my radar when i was setting off to search for (laughs) romance stories um and i was searching for some others who may or may not be on the list later and i kind of ended up on looking at uh, emperor kito and there was a whole bit where they kept seeing quotes about him calling that they were like a love match and like match made on a court and you know and it was all these, like, puns. <laughs> I was like, I've got to read more about this. And it turns out that Ikito and Michiko met on a tennis court in 1957. And he did that thing that all good royal men do and was instantly smitten with this woman. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of instantly smittens, isn't there?
0: <laughs> They're just completely fall in love. Um, but Michiko was, she's a lower class, obviously, she wasn't royal, she's not from the imperial house, and she grew up in a Catholic family, and in a family that went to church and believed in all the Catholic, followed Catholic teachings at home. She wasn't baptised, that might have been a big one, but yeah. Catholics are just a no-no for like 90% of the churches, uh, religions even, no, monarchies, monarchies, <laughs> got the word, <lyrics. laughs> got it eventually, apart from, <laughs> apart from the Catholic ones, obviously, they're just like, no Catholics, no <laughs> allowed um but yeah so she was like nope everyone's going no the imperial court are going no we're not dating you can't marry a lower class catholic it's horrible um so to get around that the imperial court were like right michiko you're going to go to brussels and they sent her off to brussels to do some like training or work of some kind um and they kept akito in japan and at this point he was the crown prince so he wasn't the emperor yet um and he ended up using uh, the king of belgium to pass messages to michigan <laughs> which, which i just love. just like oh no i need to contact her i'll just get the king of belgium to do it so it's you know it's um philip's uh, philip's uncle so baudin baudouin oh, yeah. baud badwin badwin that's all <laughs> king badwin of belgium um and eventually uh, when you know the two years Michigan was due to spend in Brussels came to an end Badwin was the one who ended up kind of speaking to to Akito's father and being like look if you want him to be a good emperor you need to let him marry this woman and she was the first commoner to marry into the imperial family in over 2500 years Um, and they they always had and still have because they're both still alive a very very happy marriage Mm -hmm. Um, Akito's mother was not a fan and apparently was continuously being like, you're not good enough for my son, you're horrible, your your children are not worthy because they came from you, and, you know, you've ruined them with your lower-class blood, and also, like, death threats were sent to Mishiko and her family, but she kind of became, like, the quote-unquote people's princess of Japan, because she was, like, very sporty, mm. and she was always out and about and talking to children, and she did everything that, like the perfect prince would do yeah. and it was just a proper love match like there was no way it wasn't a love match and they wore some mountain tennis court, so it's a great opportunity for puns
1: yeah love nil and no, lo- that's not you Don't <laughs> yeah. say love nil do you, you
0: say love 15 <laughs> love all love 15 <laughs> love math tennis yeah. <laughs> um and it's one of those things, <laughs> one of those things that like should never have happened particularly in the japanese imperial family mm-hmm. but it did and it kind of did we've spoken a lot about how Japan just is very set in their ways. And this is a very rare example of them changing the ways because Akito was like, but I love her. Yeah. that's that, There's a few actually
1: from Japan that I thought about. I didn't end up including them on my list, but I thought about them. So um, the current emperor and empress is the child of Akihito uh, uh, and uh, Mako and Kei Kimura, who's her husband. You know, I think, um there's something about the nature of the Japanese royal family of like with the women having to leave the royal family if they get married and the strict, really strict rules that kind of, it creates that very um, powerful love story of kind of like two people who are in love against all odds. And, you know, there's an automatic thing there. You know, a lot of monarchies are very modern now and they don't really care who you marry, but um, Japan is still very particular. And so there's just... There's quite a few that I think we could have could have mentioned from Japan because there's just something about the environment there um, where people are making people have to make a sacrifice in order to marry the person that they love. Pretty much all of them do.
0: Yeah, I may I may have another one on my list later oh. on at some point. Oh, um, I, interesting. Little little teaser for you all there. Very Japan heavy in my notes. In the end, I mean, they're so cute. They are very cute. <laughs> very in love.
1: Yeah, when you see photographs of them together, even now when they're very, very old, um, like they're just, I don't know, they I, I part of this might be just because they, they're quite small.
0: <laughs> small and sweet.
1: Yeah, small, sweet, older people who are still very much in love and like linking arms and stuff. It's like, that's my kryptonite, apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I was kind of researching them, like in a weird way, they reminded me a bit of like the Queen and Philip and Mm. that kind of like they fell in love and they were like that's it now I'm in love forever I'm (laughs) I'm not changing my mind
1: yeah (laughs) oh cute
0: well that's a very good choice I think now I'm excited to hear about um the queen mother and her dalliance with the king
1: so yeah I I think their courtship has some of my favorite hallmarks in a royal couple um so George VI was known amongst the family as Bertie so I'm going to call him Bertie as if I'm his friend Um, just in case you get confused Bertie met uh the queen mother I think I can't remember I didn't write that down at some sort of event and fell immediately in love with her as all of the men in this story do (laughs) um in this episode like men are really falling in love with anyone
0: Um, all the time
1: it's not the women the women are always just like yeah I'm cool whatever I've got 16 men who want to marry me and the men are just like but I have to be with you um (laughs) And he proposed to her first time in 1921 and she said absolutely not um, because she didn't want to be a royal. She didn't want to have to give up her life. She she really didn't like the idea at all. And then Bertie said, I will not marry anyone else. Um, if I can't marry Elizabeth, I won't marry anybody else. And his mother, Queen Mary was like, what's so special about this girl? So she went to go meet her. And then she came back and she was like, yeah, I don't think that he could be happy with anybody else. So he has to marry her. <sighs> So I think that also boosted it because he had his mother's approval and his mother was quite a formidable woman. So if she liked Elizabeth, he was like, well, I like her. My mum likes her. That's the dream. Um, so he proposed again in 1922 in March and she said no again. Uh, she didn't <laughs> want to do it. And then finally she agreed to marry him in January of 1923. Now, all of that could be really creepy, but I've got my love goggles on today. Um <laughs> And I love the idea of a soulmate, even though I don't believe in them at all. So I think it's not creepy if you're in love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not creepy if you're both in love and the only no. thing stopping you is that there's a royal issue. Exactly. Is that- <laughs> so
1: the re- I think um, the main reason I picked them is because I think George VI or Bertie is kind of viewed in popular imagination as the man who took the throne in really difficult circumstances because his older brother had abdicated in disgrace. Um, He overcame a stammer and shyness, um, which you can see in the King's Speech, which is still a very good movie. Um, And he he overcame all of that to be the monarch who steered us through the Second World War. And so there's a huge amount of affection and respect for George, even though most of us weren't alive when he was king. And I think he wouldn't have been any of those things if it wasn't for the Queen Mother. And that's why I picked them, because I think so uh, the Bose Lion family, the Queen Mother's family, were very informal. They kind of remind me of like the Middletons and what their relationship with William gives him. It gives him an informality and a happy, functional family. And the Bose Lions gave that to uh, Bertie. He, they kind of gave him they were really informal and they made him a bit more relaxed and uh, that was because the Queen Mother brought him into her world. Um, Her commitment and support to him gave him strength so you know during the war she was, uh, Hitler considered her the most dangerous woman in Europe which is a flex Um, and, (laughs) and her kind of warmth in her personality made him in turn kind of become more approachable and then You know, on the flip side of it, she didn't want to be a royal, but she ended up being one of the most beloved royals in modern memory because she was with a man who had undying devotion to her. And so that made the role a little bit easy, easier for her. And I think in turn, the queen, a lot of who she was, came from the love and the joy that she saw in her parents. And so I picked them because... And they were the biggest surprise when I decided to pick them because I hadn't thought I would. But I picked them because I think they do have a really interesting love story. um, But also they wouldn't have been who they were and the icons that they are of modern royal history if it hadn't have been for their relationship with each other. They gave so much to each other.
0: I really like that. It's weird because the Queen Mother died when I was about four or five and so did Margaret, and I have no memory of Margaret at all being alive, but I do remember the Queen Mother, like, vaguely, so she clearly made some kind of impact on me in my young youth, Um, but I've always really liked the Queen Mother, and I've always felt like a lot of the positives that we have in, not just the British royal family, today, but in European monarchies, Mm. come from her approach, and her kind of, like, if you think, you know, back in, during the Blitz, when she would go out and look at the bombed out houses with him like the the I, I mean I didn't know what Britta would have done if he hadn't married her but if he we assume he would have followed the footsteps of his you know brothers and father and uncles and granddad he wouldn't have been the type of king to go and stand outside a bombed out building and be like ah oh, sad isn't it whereas she did that and now if it would be almost unfathomable that a royal wouldn't do that and I do think that they kind of between them, shepherded in the kind of modern era of royalty that we have today.
1: Definitely. I think it was a combination of his, he knew what being a monarch was about and he had an unwavering sense of duty because he had seen what happens if you put yourself first in his older brother and he'd seen how it had torn the family apart, but also torn the monarchy apart almost. Um, And so I think he had this really intense sense of duty and sort of responsibility and she had an informality and kind of you know a lot of the walkabouts walkabouts are a big royal staple now partly because she did them so I think that their their love story is probably bigger than the two of them which is one of the reasons that I picked them it is a cute story anyway uh if we if you view it that way unless and, and not as a creepy way but
0: um yeah it does have a lot of like traits that pop up in like other couples yes i like, oh, that's another one of like, one of my couples did that and one of my couples did that so yeah <laughs> so like it's like the perfect melting pot of royal romances so
1: yeah that's my that was my number four choice who have you got for number three
0: well I've stayed in Japan mm. and my next choice is the current emperor and empress of Japan and I've gone for uh, Naruhito and Masako
1: lovely I think they've got some similarities with Queen Mother and George actually
0: they do yeah saying it I was like that's what I've got
1: (laughs) yeah well then you you talk us through um your you know before I say mine you talk us through um the similarities
0: so yeah there are a lot of similarities so obviously back in this era like his father Naruhito was the crown prince of Japan and Masako was not a crown princess she was also a commoner um like his her mother her soon to be mother-in-law Um, And she was working at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Japan. And in November 1986, they met each other at a tea for Infanta Elena of Spain, (laughs) which she was being hosted in Japan. I assume she was there as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs representative, and he was there as the crown prince. Um, But yeah, they met there. And like all classic royal men do, he fell immediately (laughs) in love (laughs) and was completely obsessed. And kept arranging like times for them to meet um, and sort of secretly meet up and hang out and go on dates. And the press were like, oh my God, this is amazing. They're in love. We're going to follow them. Um, but as always, the imperial household was like, hold up, don't like it. And not a big fan. And it just brewed for a number of reasons. One of them was still the commoner angle, um, even though by this point, not only was the empress, the current empress, Michigo, had been a commoner, but also um, Princess Kiko was a commoner. So there were were a couple of them, but also her uh, Masako's maternal grandfather was very distantly linked to the uh, Minamato disease, which is a mercury poisoning disease scandal that had kind of ended up in the water in Japan and had caused lots of birth defects and um, deaths and unpleasant things (laughs) that that kind of thing um and you know he wasn't like he was dramatically dramatically involved but he was linked so there was a lot of people being like well this is a bad choice she's unsuitable um so she they kind of like just give it some time and masaka was fine with that because she wanted to go to oxford to do her degree in international relations or she went to do her degree it was like a master's i think And she got kind of partway through it and ended up coming back home. And like with the Queen Mother and Bertie, um, the Naruto uh, proposed quite a few times. He proposed once and she was like, no, thank you. I would really like to be a diplomat and I can't do that if I'm a princess. And then he proposed again and she was like, no, because I'll lose all my freedom and I'll lose my independence. And then he proposed again and he was like, look what is being a princess if not being a diplomat? Just a mega one. Which was like, bye. <laughs> I agree. And they did very much fall in love and get married. Um, and I think after the kind of initial press obsession with them, once she'd moved to Oxford, the public's view was that they were, they'd split up and they were like, oh, who's he going to marry now? So them announcing their engagement, everyone was like, well, those two are back together. That's amazing. We didn't do that. And I also think, kind of, even sort of now, because they had, you know, this beautiful initial romance of this kind of like hard-to-get girl and a completely smitten man, um, and then obviously they had a lot of troubles in terms of um, Masako conceiving, and they lost cho- lost uh, children through miscarriages and stillbirths, and um, obviously the press. Tension had a really sort of negative impact on them but the fact that they are still so close and Masako and Naruhito didn't sort of separate or she didn't leave the palace because she could have done they could have stayed married or they could have separated or she could have gone like I'm not doing this anymore like at all but she there was so much love between them and you can see that when you see them together they love each other so much they just he did everything at her pace he said you do what you need to do and I will take everything else um and until you're ready and then she kind of slowly became ready again and started to come back out and doing things together and I think that it goes from being this kind of really intense passionate desire right at the beginning to being this kind of Mm. almost like I will do anything for you love that they kind of still have today and I just really love it
1: (laughs) I think I yeah there are definitely people who if you ask me in a different week they could be on my top five and I did Debate having them in there because they've got a lot of the things that I really love so that kind of hard to get thing which is not creepy if you're in love I'm gonna say it again um (laughs) it's absolutely you know it's it's totally fine um this is a very different circumstance it's not just somebody you don't know pestering you for a date it's you know they only the only reason they didn't want to get married is because it would have meant giving up everything in their life you know no big deal (laughs) um so yeah I, I think that's a very sweet Sort of thing but I yeah I think you're right like Naruhito has um actually done something very brave in speaking up against the imperial household who kind of run everything um when there was a lot of speculation about whether or not they were going to be able to have children and a lot of pressure on her to be to have a boy because girls can't inherit in Japan and um it was causing this bit of a crisis because there's no boys we talked about this in previous episodes and um he kind of did a press conference normally press conferences in Japan they like pre-prepared questions pre-prepared answers it's all very very tightly controlled and he was just like this is not helping there's people <laughs> who are putting too much pressure on her wink wink we all know who um, and we don't like it and so he really did put his neck on the line and apparently he's not very well liked by the imperial household compared to his brother because he did he he did put his neck on the line and sort of say I I think this is wrong what you're doing to my wife
0: Yeah, and I think that the fact that, you know, there was such a period where we knew before too long Naruhito was going to become the emperor because we knew his father, was you know, was Mm -hmm. was getting old. We're getting on a bit, probably going (laughs) to either die or abdicate. Um, And Masako was just, you know, we knew she was there, but she wasn't a public figure. And I think also there was that kind of, The press had very much turned on them and the imperial household had turned on them and the public even were starting to turn on them a bit and being like, well, we've got these other royals who are out and do things so why didn't we just skip you and jump straight to them? They've already got a son. Um, And the fact that they kind of, you know, I remember his enthronement and when he was crowned emperor and the way that they were both so kind of beloved by the people that were there for them. And I think they're one of those couples where you look at them and you can just see how much they adore each other but not it's not like in a you know like a honeymoon phase of love it's not that kind of like passionate love it's almost like they just it's it's very much like a soulmate love Like they just look look at each other like I'm very comfortable because you are here with me
1: yeah oh that's so sweet yeah I, I I love the empress as an individual as well I think she's a very strong person and I really relate to her story but I think you know you can't get through these difficult situations on your own. Uh, I've learned that from the Princess of Wales. Um, (laughs) uh, You can't get through them alone. Uh, So um, I think obviously having him as her husband has meant that she's been able to return to doing royal duties now and is much more present than she was for a very long time because of her mental health. So I'm sure that having a husband who loved her and supported her and was willing to sacrifice things for her and put his neck on the line really helped with that.
0: I'm interested to hear your number three choice because you said there was a curveball.
1: Well it's, it's not a curveball as such. We both we we both thought they would be on the list, I think. Um but yeah. it's a curveball that I put them at number three. Okay. So they could have easily been number two. Um, for me as well. I if you again, if you ask me a different week, I might switch three and two, but I said Sonia and Harold. Ooh,
0: they are my number one. my number one.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're my
0: number one choice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See. Uh, well. Let, should we talk about them anyway, even though they're my number three? Yeah, favorite?
0: let's talk about them now. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so yes, their love story is very iconic. Uh, we touched on it in episode 33, if you want to go back and listen to that. But they met at a dinner party in 1959. I just have to say, where? how are all these commoners getting invites to dinner parties that are attended by royals?
0: Yeah, I've never been to a dinner party, let alone one with the royals. So what is going on? I, I mean, I've been to people's houses where we've got takeaway from a people's house.
1: Does that <laughs> count as a dinner party? Yeah, yeah it should count. Yeah, um, but they um, they they were together for about a year. They called it quits in 1960 because they was facing huge opposition because she was a commoner. And um, the king at the time, who was the uh, King Harold's father, um, didn't want them to be together. And Harold was shipped off to Oxford University with the idea that, oh, if they spend some time apart, Um, They won't want to be together and he'll he'll lose interest, which is something that, you know, they obviously did with a few of the other couples we have mentioned so far. But like every good love story, they couldn't stay apart from each other. And they were together off and on until 1962 when uh, the king came back to Norway and they were back on full force and things continued for a while. Um, with no real change to the situation. The king was opposed to the idea of them getting married, but Harold was deeply in love with Sonia. And apparently in 1967, Harold had spent months being miserable and angry at everyone uh, for ages. And um, everyone was starting to notice how just miserable he looked at, everything, at every event. Um, and so he, he eventually set, gave an ultimatum. He told his dad, if I can't marry Sonia, I won't marry anybody. And that would effectively end the family line because at the time women couldn't inherit the throne. And so eventually the king relented with that choice on the (laughs) table and their engagement was announced in 1968 and they married in August of that year. And, you know, they're still together and they have uh, two children together. As we've come up, as we sort of said already, I love a good love story where there's obstacles.
0: (laughs) And sure, there were obstacles here.
1: Yeah, I think that mentality of like us against the world, it can be very dangerous because I think Bonnie and Clyde were very us against the world, but they killed lots of people. Um, it can be a very dangerous thing if you're actually if you're creating a narrative in order to be insular and there's no one actually against you. But they re- they were facing real obstacles from everybody around them it wasn't imagined ones it was very much we want to be together the only reason that people don't want us to get married is because she's a commoner she hasn't done anything bad they just don't want just because of something that she can't control they think she's not appropriate i think there's some some people are just like magnetic for each other
0: yes if you watch harold and sonia today they are I think just as in love as they were when they met in 1959 and they just attracted each other and were like nope we're stuck together now
1: yeah nothing definitely I think you know there's a couple of love stories that are similar where they broke up for whatever reason but they just couldn't stay apart from each other so Carl Philip and Sophia broke up because they faced a lot of opposition in their their relationship and then eventually uh because of her past and then eventually they couldn't stay apart or I think it was slightly different but William and Kate also broke up and then that wasn't didn't last very long and they ended up back together. I think I like the idea of a story that kind of they ca- they can't not be together because they just are, are so intensely drawn to each other but like they can't imagine, Not being together, and they try it because of so you know of the obstacles that are facing them. They try not to be together, but it's just so painful for them that they they have to be together. Like that's just it's so romantic.
0: I and I think I am going to completely contradict this when I talk about my second choice, who I believe is probably your first choice. But I love the fact that he threatened to end a monarchy for them, like. Yeah, but like no, I am so in love, and it kind of reminded me when you were talking about the Queen Mother and Bertie, and the way he was like, if I don't marry her, I'm not marrying anyone. Considering they literally just had, you know, uh they they were in, you know, he ended up with an abdicated brother, and it all went a bit wrong. That kind of like, I am gonna marry this person because I love them so much. I literally don't care about the consequences for the country. And like, yeah, I'm gonna contradict contradict that later. But yeah, you do marry no, my number one. <laughs> <laughs> I think like it's so like there is something I mean it's not necessarily very healthy and if it happened with my friends I'd be like uh red flags but yeah. in this circumstance it's so romantic to be like this love I have for you is so immense that I would rather cause a diplomatic incident yeah. and leave my sort of birthright and this entire country in peril because I need to be with you. Edward
1: wanted to marry Wallace but she was in a, well, she was also having a relationship with a Nazi officer, and he was letting her read important national documents right before a war started. So, like, the, <laughs> what the, their whole—if their narrative is like us against the world—there was a really good reason people were against you. Um, whereas, in the in the case of Harold and Sonia, the only thing was that she was a commoner. That was the only thing that was putting that was keeping them apart. And that's—I know that it was a different attitude and things, but it's silly because she was a good she was a good person she made him happy and she you know she had no real particular controversies controversies around her like some of the other stories so it just kind of it's just a silly thing to keep somebody apart for and and so it it doesn't feel harmful to kind no. of support that that very intense can't keep away from each other kind of love affair
0: and like a really superficial level. I really like couples when there's like some weird cosmic link between them. Like I like the fact that Prince Daniel was born on the day Carl Gustaf ascended to the throne. I like the fact that Kate was christened on the day William was born and I really like the fact that King Harold married Sonia Harold. Like I just imagine it was like a great conversation starter and they probably joked around a lot about it and I just like the fact that some couples are cosmically linked and have been forever. <laughs> On a day-to-day basis,
1: I'm not one of those people who believes in that kind of thing. But when it comes to an epic love story, all of my, you know, morals and my my way of viewing the world and my sense of reality, all of that just flies out of the window. And I'm like, they're soulmates. They were meant to be together. It's fate. <laughs> um, but I, I also think, you know, they're kind of similar to um, uh, George and um, the Queen Mother, in that I think that they've also their relationship being so strong and having gone through such challenges because it went through challenges again similar to Masako there was miscarriages and and things that happened in the family that were really difficult going through all of that and staying together and staying so in love with each other they've really created that loving warm environment that the current that the that still exists in the royal family you know that's carrying down we're seeing it with Ingrid Alexandra when she's doing more speeches and things she kind of has that gentle teasing which comes from Harold and his relationship and how he talks to his wife and his family. And I think, you know, it's not just that they have a beautiful love story with each other. It's that them, those two people falling in love and being allowed to be together has made the royal family what it is today.
0: Yeah. And I also think that if you look at the, they're like comparable royals in other royal families. So, you know, the Queen and Philip or Margaret and Henrik or Marguerite even, and Henrik, or, you know, Albert and Paula and Juan Carlos and Sophia, like, they all had some kind of drama, mm. um, and, and I, it's almost like Harold and Sonia were like, sorry, we're too busy being in love to do any of that, we just got to, like, live our perfect, happy life here with our beautiful children and happy family with no drama, <laughs> just living a happy time, and you can all have absolute chaotic marriages or, you know, rumours around you, we're above that and they've just stayed very sort of happy and sweet and perfect forever should we do your number two choice now yes my number two so
1: who was your number two
0: my number two has not yet been mentioned but I think they're your number one
1: well my number two then is one of your honorable mentions let's see if you can guess hack-on. yes it is
0: it's <laughs> it's or I'm very Scandinavian they were right on my like Victoria and Daniel hackathon or metamarin I was like weighing both of them up for so long and then I went for Victoria because it's more personal to me, but I I could, I could, would have put money on you picking Hakon and Metamarin.
1: The, It's interesting because the reason that ha- Metamaran and Hakon got on this list is because they are personal to me. So um, I think we both made decisions that, and this is why they were second instead of third. I was looking at Metamaran and Hakon, I was looking at Harold and Sonia and I was like, who do I want to be second? Who? Are-? And I, I thought this personal connection that I have puts them just above. And I, it did surprise me, but. Right, I'll go back. So <laughs> in 1997, Metamarit had a son named Marius uh, with a guy named Morton Borg. Uh, and Morton was convicted for cocaine possession um, because both him and Metamarit were part of a very wild lifestyle in the 90s. They loved, they enjoyed the 90s. Um, <laughs> and then in 1999, so she already had a little two year old boy, she met Hakon at a music festival. And they were, sort of fell in love with each other. They announced their engagement in late 2000, but it was incredibly controversial because everybody obviously found out, well, she's got a child um, who's about four years old. She's got, um, the child's father is a convicted criminal for cocaine possession. Uh, She, there's photographs of her at music festivals and she's linked to people in the kind of drug scene and um, everybody, you know, a lot of people thought it was, a really really bad choice but Harold and Sonia really embraced them um I think they kind of remembered their own struggle uh to be together and they knew that if this was what got what was going to make Hakon happy then they would accept metamaret and she kind of then spoke she did an interview where she spoke about her past and she sort of expressed regret and um that really shifted people's opinion of her and um she was kind of there was, yeah, it was just a massive shift and people were much more supportive of her um, after she gave that interview and now they you know they got married have two children of their own um, and Marius is all grown up so the reason I love them they have a lot of the, the hallmarks that I've already talked about of this idea that you know they faced a lot of obstacles to to be able to be together and they were kind of you know, so attracted to each other that they couldn't imagine being with anybody else. You know, all these things that are um, sort of hallmarks of a lot of the stories that we've talked about. But the main reason that they are my number two is they remind me of my parents. Oh, Yeah, and my family. So my parents were born around the same time as Metamara and Hakon. They're about the same age. Uh, my mum had me and was a single parent. Um My mum, she wasn't quite connected to like convicted criminals and things, but she was a free spirit, shall we say? (laughs) I have to be careful about how I phrase this because she'll be listening. Um, But she was a free spirit. She was very big into the rave culture of the 1990s and the late 1980s. So kind of reminds me of Metamarit. And then so my dad, he's technically my stepdad. I never really think of him like that. And I always say he's my dad because he is my dad. Um, But they got together when i was about the same age as marius was when his when hakon and Metamarit got together and my dad being with my mum, he wasn't just taking on a wife and he was i mean they got engaged when i was four ish so my dad was like 23 um my mom was 22 and they got, you know, they they got engaged and he wasn't just taking on a relationship for the rest of his life, he was taking on a child. And I think because of my parents like past experiences and the fact that they were young and the fact that he was taking on something so huge, um, a lot of people didn't think that it was gonna last or didn't support them as a couple. Um, and here we are today, they've been married for about 25 years. <laughs> happily together um the best parents that I could hope for and uh you know I'm I'm incredibly thankful that they were together because it, it's the best thing they could have done that's why they were in my top two really was because it has all of the things that I love about love stories about obstacles and all that kind of stuff but also the fact that they were there was a step parent relationship the fact that um there was kind of this free spirit uh, mother and a father who was taking on a huge amount of responsibility another person's child essentially when they didn't have to all reminds me of my parents so I have a real connection to them as a
0: family that's so sweet (laughs) it reminds me of of the episode we did about like our favorite Cambridge tours and we had the same four and then we both like we both had one that was just like our first tour Yeah. (laughs) Which is like a personal nod. It's like we've got a very similar like group again, this time and we've got our own personal connection to one of them. That made it onto the list.
1: That's really what all a lot of this is about, really, isn't it? It's like I'm sure that other people would look at the relationships we've chosen and be like, oh, that's terrible. You know, um, I mean, well, it's interesting. I if you'd asked me this like five years ago, one of the relationships I would have had on the list would have been the king and queen of Bhutan, because I thought their love story was really lovely because they met when she was seven and he was 17 at a garden party, a barbecue kind of thing. Um, And she walked up to him and said that he was very handsome because she was seven, so she didn't really understand. So she walked up, said he was very handsome and that she wanted to marry him. And he said, well, when you're older, uh, if we're both single, we'll get married. And then they did. And she was quite young. She was like 20, 21. So I thought that was beautiful when I was young, younger and now I'm like that actually might I don't think it was creepy as such because I don't think that he had like ongoing contact with her after the age of seven I think he was just trying to be sweet but that's actually not a really cute story <laughs> like I thought it was
0: it's a little bit scary
1: yeah it's a little bit uncomfortable so um your personal connection and how you interpret these relationships does develop and change depending on your own experiences but so to me I think the step parent relationship is particularly important because you know you don't have any biological connection to this person you are committing to them for the rest of their life not just till they turn 18 but to the rest of their life um and you're coming in with a family that's already sort of ready-made and has its own connections and trying to find how you fit in and it's just it's a lot to take on and you you have to really really love somebody to be able to do that and to be you have to be a really strong person and have really uh, good character about you to be a good step parent, so yeah,
0: I know they did not make my list and Victoria and Daniel did, but they are probably mm. you know one of my favorite um sort of relationships of that kind of era of royals, that kind of generation, and some of it is just that the fact you can see that their relationship is founded on just such a pure brilliant friendship. Mm. Um, and I mean, it would have had to be to sort of take on a, take on a child, particularly take on a child into a royal family, which I think adds a whole other dimension to it because you've, you're going like, marry me and also expose your son to the press forever. Yeah. uh, Which is a lot. But also I think, you know, I, I I spent a lot of my life worrying about metamarit and hoping she's okay. So
1: in case you don't know people, she has um, various health conditions that are quite serious.
0: Yes. Um, life-limiting ones and I think that when when I kind of heard about those initially I spent a lot of time being like actually I watched them and I think they are so perfect for each other like they are they balance each other out they you know they clearly love each other they've got a very happy and well-rounded family that have all got such great connections to each other like their brothers and sisters they all get on the cousins get on you know they get on with Martha Louise and you know her family and they get on with the other sort of heirs and they just seem to be such like nice well-rounded people who have had a nice well-rounded family and if you know if you went back to 1999 or whatever it was and asked the public like look at these couples that are together or gonna start dating in the next few years which ones will still be together in 10 years I reckon most people would have pulled them out as the couple that wouldn't have stayed together whereas I'm they probably, again, are one of the couples that have had the least rumours of infidelity because there's been less opportunity for them because they're so in love. Well, then, my number one is your number two, I think. Yes. This is going to be our plot twist, so they're different. Like, yeah. What?
1: <laughs> it, it's Lillian and Bertil, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Okay, so um, people may not know this if you're more of a casual royal watcher because both of these people are dead, Um Prince Bertil was the uncle of the current king of Sweden, uh, King Carl Gustaf, and Prince Bertil met Lillian Craig um, in London during the war and was instantly smitten. Um, <laughs> as all good men are. As all good men are. Um, she was married. But her husband was off. I think he was serving in the war. And when he came back from the war, he wanted to marry somebody else. So he wasn't really fussed about the fact that that Lillian and Bertil had been carrying on with each other. (laughs) So in 1947, she divorced her husband. The war had ended. Um, So you'd think, okay, well, they've been together for about four years. It's time for them to get married. But the heir to the Swedish throne, uh, King Carl Gustav's father, died very suddenly and very tragically at a very young age. And so that meant that the heir to the throne was Carl Gustaf, who at the time was about a year old and he was going to be succeeding his grandfather. So, you know, he could feasibly become a child under the uh, become a monarch um, under the age of 18, which would have meant he needed a regent. Now, lots of Carl Gustaf's uncles had married commoners, which would mean that they were excluded from the line of succession. And so Bertil was the only uncle who could have served as regent. And so he was basically not allowed to marry Lillian because if he'd married Lillian, he would have been excluded from the line of succession. And if something had happened to the king, the heir to the throne would have become the king at under 18 and would have had no region. And it would have been an absolute disaster, uh, a big su- succession crisis, which we, you know we love here. We love that. We love this. We love this. Um, but even though he knew that he couldn't marry Lillian, he refused to give up on her and she refused to give up on him. And so they lived together in Sweden and in France, and I think they had a place in London as well, um, as an unmarried couple. they were. Kind, it was kind of an open secret, everybody kind of knew. Um, and they lived together for 33 years until King Carl Gustaf took over and he married a commoner himself. And he was kind of new and modern and young. He was over 18, so he didn't need a regent. And he allowed them to marry. So they got married in um, 1976. Because they were t- together for over 30 years, they were never able to have children. Um, but they kind of viewed the Swedish royal family's children, so Victoria, Madeleine and uh, Carl Philip as their honorary grandchildren. And they were incredibly close to the royal family and both kind of did occasional engagements and stayed a really important part of the family for a very long time. So madeline's oldest daughter leonore her middle name is lillian after princess lillian um so that's kind of their love story in a nutshell and i want to the first thing i want to say stop making 800 princess diana <laughs> movies and give me my movie about lillian and Bertil.
0: <laughs> yeah the proper it's a there's a war on, yeah, it's a forbidden romance, there's an affair, it's everything that you could possibly want in a romance. It's so <laughs>
1: so, so yeah. and, and she was like a model, she was beautiful, and he was the Chancellor. She's, she's Welsh, yes. Um uh I every story that I know about Bertila and Lillian sounds like it should be from a movie. So the first time that they met. This is a great story. One of my favorites. The first time Bertil and Lillian met at this dinner party, he said, oh, hello, I'm Prince Bertil, um, which is an interesting way to introduce yourself. But he said he was Prince Bertil um, and she was totally unimpressed with the fact that he was a prince. And she responded with, how wonderful. I'm the Queen of Sheba. (laughs) (laughs) I just I love that. I love that. I think it's 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 that's movie text right there.
0: Yes, and those things where, like, if it had been in a movie, everyone would quote it now and be like, iconic lines Yeah, favourite movie character Lillian. Yeah, exactly.
1: I love it. Um, and that, like, yeah, you, you mentioned that, there, you know, it took place during a war, and early in their romance, there was a bomb strike, and Bertil had been at a dinner party. Um, I, that's what rich people do, we've established. Um, and in the midst of the bombing he was so worried, he couldn't get hold of Lillian, he was so worried that she might be at risk, that he drove across London in his dinner jacket, bombs falling, buildings (laughs) collapsing, Uh, the area that Lillian lived in was being shut down because of a non-activated bomb and he didn't stop until he found Lillian and could take her to safety. Like, I can't even get a text back from a man. (laughs) And he drove across a bomb, you know, a uh, London, while it was being bombed, to find this woman. I just—it's so
0: cinematic. Yes, yeah, like think of the soundtrack you could put on yeah. in the background of that scene. Come on, guys, it's literally writing itself. This movie.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah, it's right there on a plate. I just, um, yeah, I I lo- I just love so much of the so much of it, and I think it's it's such a. It sounds like something that was written rather than something that is real because it's just thirty three years, you know.
0: And I was reading, you know, a lot of uh, a solitary interview with Bertil. (laughs) And, you know, like all the things that, you know, you hear Royals today say, oh, we don't really go to the cinema. We have films brought into us. But it's like they couldn't have films brought into them because it was the olden days. But they couldn't go out together. They couldn't, you know, go to the cinema or go out for a meal or go go on holiday or do anything in public for 33 years. Like... I mean I know romance is not built on doing things it's on like love and all of that stuff but I just imagine if you were stuck with someone for 33 years and you couldn't be like oh god we need a change of scene you'd go insane like you'd be like oh would you like tea again that's all we can do because we can't leave the house
1: you know it's a sad thing that it that this is what had to happen That this is the way things went down but it's got that sacrifice element to it again because they were together for 33 years which meant that when they married they were quite old so they were sort of pensioners and um they so they couldn't have children together I mean they could have but they would have been out of wedlock and that would have been even more controversial um and I'm not saying that you know a, a relationship doesn't need children I don't really want children so that's that's fine but they clearly wanted children and they were not able to have them and I think that that's just a really beautiful thing of like their relationship with each other was the most important thing. That's actually a quote from Lillian that I really liked, which said the first priority of our lives is that we always loved each other. And I think, no, it's, I think, and I think that's true. It's like, they, they both knew that in order to be together, they would not be able to live the life that they should have been able to live of getting married and having children and going outside together and being openly in love with one another. They had to hide it and they had to give up so much, but they when they looked back on it neither of them for even a second regretted it because they had each other and so this is actually you know behind all of the drama and cinematic quality and the affairs and all of that exciting stuff there's just a story really of two people who wanted to be together and made it work
0: yeah and I think the fact that especially after they kind of married and they were so open about it and Mm -hmm. there wasn't bitterness they weren't like no so unfair we couldn't marry for so long they were just like we do have a regret and it is the fact we couldn't have children because we would have loved that and I mean being open about that anyway is huge nowadays let alone in the 70s but I think the fact that they you know were like well we had each other and there was things we couldn't do but we had each other and that's all we needed and I mean I know this is the exact opposite of what I said earlier um, my whole like, yeah, destroy the monarchy for love <laughs> But the fact that Bertil was like, I have to do this, I have to not marry you because mm. the country needs me to just be here as a solo man. And Lillian was like, almost like, I'll wait for you, but like I'll wait with you. And like, we won't do all the big like flashy things, yeah. but you're needed and you have to do this. And I'm I accept that so much, I'm willing to just stay with you yeah. until we can be together publicly
1: in your defense I think the difference in the situation is that Harold didn't just have to marry somebody he had to then have children with that person it was about the continuation yeah he had to procreate exactly so he, he, his choice of, of wife was about the continuation of the monarchy for future generations whereas with Bertil He didn't have to have children in order to be able to continue the monarchy. He just had to make sure that he didn't marry somebody. And so they had that option. Harold and Sonia would not have been able to live together in the same way as for 33 years or however long and have the, that still would have been a problem for them because they needed to have children.
0: See, I'm not that much of a hypocrite. No, I think it's
1: not hypocritical (laughs) at all. It totally makes sense. Um, You know, whether or not you bring down the monarchy because of your relationship is case dependent <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you have to continue the monarchy for oh. it to be of true romance but their their love story is just like I mean the you know nine years for Harold and Sonia they had to wait Gustav and Karina waited 19 years and then Lillian and Bertilla just sitting there like you only had to wait 19 years <laughs> it's just a small number
0: yeah you know and I also think like they spent more time like in hiding together than they did as a like publicly married couple yeah and you know I always think when I read about their wedding it's almost like my favorite royal wedding because it was like 30 minutes just like key people in a tiny chapel you know not tiny chapel it was Jottingham Palace (laughs) but it wasn't like Stockholm Cathedral yeah yeah yeah. and you know Lillian described it as the best 30 minutes of her life Mm. and I think the fact that after all that time they didn't go out for the biggest splashiest wedding ever they just were like literally half an hour we'll sign some paperwork and then we can just carry on being the beautiful happy couple we already are and it's almost like that kind of like el- why you kind of like elopements are so romantic because like oh we're just going to run away and get married and they kind of did that in the most royal way possible
1: <laughs> yeah it's not about like fancy dress or the you know getting all these people to look at us or um it's not about anything like that it's just about them and the family as well kind of being able to to be there and and to be open about the relationship that they had so thank you everybody for joining us for what was a surprisingly optimistic episode
0: (laughs) We occasionally do them we
1: occasionally do you're used to us complaining about things but actually it's you know we can be happy and we can have love in our hearts um <laughs> uh yeah we hope you enjoyed this please do find us on tumblr or um instagram or on both places on our podcast and share with us your favorite love story and why it's your favorite love story we'd love to hear from you um but other than that oh are we taking a break next week
0: we are having a secret week off. That's yes. we am going tell you. Definitely- yeah, it's a, not a
1: secret at all. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a public, very open week off. Yeah, we're taking a week off because of the aforementioned flat inspection. Um, I don't trust myself to be able to, to do the flat and do the podcast in the same week. I think that would be too much. But we hope that you uh, will join us when we come back from our short break. And we hope you have a lovely time. Uh, but other than that, it is goodbye
0: from me. And goodbye from me.